1: Good morning and welcome back to Intrepid Radio. I am your host, Todd Schnick. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long, long time. I've had him on the show, gosh, I want to say probably three, four years ago, somewhere in that kind of time frame, which is criminal. We should be talking a lot more often. But I know that he has been dreaming of and scheming uh, this book that we're here today to talk about for a long, long time. And I've uh, read a good chunk of it, and it is everything that I expected it to be. And it might very well be the only sales book you will ever need. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. A good friend of mine, we hang out together in some cool groups. So say hello to my friend, Anthony Anorino. He's a speaker, author, sales leader, blogs every day, and he's the author of a brand new book called The Only Sales Guide You'll Ever Need. Anthony, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's good to hear your voice. You are so smooth on that intro. (laughs) You know... I had a very a career defining moment last week. I was in New Orleans broadcasting on a gig, and I got my first comparison to Casey Kasem. So that was a <laughs> that was a, a highlight. Uh, now I, I made it clear. I hope my demise is more honorable than than his was. But any event, that was a, it was an, no. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate you saying that. I don't think I do, but I guess we always feel that way. Anyway, Anthony, I quite certain that my audience is familiar with you for a lot of different reasons, but just in case, take a few quick seconds, tell us a bit about you and your background and the work that you're out there doing.
2: My background, I started in sales a long time ago, forced into that role by a manager who recognized I was already winning accounts, even though I would have never in a million years called myself a salesperson, or believed that what I was doing was selling anybody anything. And after having a brain surgery in Los Angeles was fronting a hair band out there, I ended up back at home and I ended up back in the family business. And basically, I grew the business from 3 million to 45 million with a very small sales force. And I started having people ask for help. And I started doing some coaching and some consulting and some speaking. And in 2009, I decided that I was going to pursue this path in earnest. So I started writing every day and I started just putting more and more content out there and sharing as much as I could with people who seemed to want more help in understanding how does sales work now in this environment because it's changed so much over the past couple decades. And what I provide is mostly really, really, you know, cutting edge tactical things that you do now but that are mostly principle and character-based stuff. So I think that's mainly what people show up at the blog to read.
1: Well, talk on the blog. I mean, obviously, uh, that's uh, how I first came across you, was this idea that you blogged every day. Now, a lot of people say that. Most people say that and don't do it. But you have been doing this for, frankly, as long as I can remember. (laughs) and. Uh, there's something to that and, and that gives you credibility and that you're serious and that you're disciplined and, and, and a lot of that kind of mindset and skill set, which frankly we're here to talk about because that's what this book is based on. I mean, that, that defines you and, and that has kind of been the foundation of what's become
2: a lot of different projects, including this book, yeah? it It has been. It's the starting point for all kinds of things. I mean, this book started when a publisher reached out to me and said, we think you should write a book. And we'd like to see what ideas you have. And I put together the outline in a sort of a book proposal plus. I had a lot of content in the book proposal. And I shared it with the publisher, and they just they, they hated it. I mean, they looked at it, and they said, we like the second half of the book on skills. We just don't understand the first half of the book. Why is discipline and resourcefulness... An initiative. Why is that in a sales book? And nobody puts caring in a sales book. Why do you? Why is that necessary? And I did my best to explain that mindset comes before skill set. So it's who you are, and then it's what you do. And I failed. My pitch did not move them at all. And their pitch to me back was, "Why don't you write a consultant's book that will get you more consulting work?" And I said, "I don't want to do that because I'm writing for salespeople and for sales managers. That's what's." interesting to me is actually helping people who do this job not trying to get more work and we parted ways and i had a second offer and it was sort of the same thing like we we really don't care and i was publishing the book on my own because i didn't think that anybody really had a value prop when portfolio found me and asked me why i hadn't written a book Uh, they did that over twitter so the acquisitions editor sent me a direct message and we talked about What I was doing and he offered to give me some help and some advice and I asked him to read the book And I told him I was publishing in six weeks on create space with amazon I'd already paid for editors because I just believe strongly that the mindset attributes come first And they totally got it and totally understood what I was doing and so we've had a a great relationship since then Because they get it the mindset who you are precedes what you do, but you need both halves
1: well it reminds me of the old ancient biblical story of taking a leap off the off the cliff and just assuming and trust that there will, will be a bridge that will appear. I mean, that's part of the Anna Reno story is the idea that I believe in this so strongly that I'm going to commit time and money and resources to putting this thing out there no matter how I have to put it out there. And that leads to the opportunity ultimately with portfolio. And I think that's part of the message here. That's part of this mindset is that you got to take action. You got to get out there and you have to believe in what you're doing. And things are going to, are going to happen as a result of that.
2: And I do, Believe in karma, and so that's a big part of of, of this message. Yeah, it is. I mean, in, in the book is a it's an action oriented book for sure. Nothing happens in sales, particularly, unless you do something. You've got to take action. And right now, we live in a time with so much inbound and content marketing. There are a lot of salespeople who are growing up under the idea of you can wait passively and things will come to you, and they're not doing well because not enough things are coming to them, and really. The book is written in such a way that in every chapter there are action items for you to do to improve either some attribute or character trait or some skill so that you keep moving forward all the time. And there's a workbook that accompanies it and there's videos that accompany it. So I really want people to take action because that you're right. That has been what's worked for me. Just take massive action. At least you're moving. And even if you're going in the wrong direction, you can adjust, but you're moving.
1: Yeah, no, Anthony. What I would normally have done, if I didn't have a long time relationship with you in a friendship, I I would have probably started this interview with a question that I ask a lot of the authors I interview, and I interview authors that talk about sales, obviously, and marketing, and innovation, and creativity, and leadership development. Talk to a lot of people about those subjects, and I always kind of lead off with with this silly. Version of the question by saying, you know, Why did the world need yet another book on leadership development? And, and I could have asked you, Why did the world need another book on sales? I, I, we already answered that question because mindset is so critical here, and most sales books don't really do that. So it, the book is organized in essence into two parts it's the mindset and the skill sets. And so let's dive into this mindset. I mean, we've talked on it already in this conversation, but, but I don't think you can be in sales if you don't if you, if you have the right mindset. And I think so many people get that wrong. And I, I think they just think, well, I'm a salesman, so I have to follow all the usual tactical stuff and read scripts and, and, and all this stuff. And, and they've already failed. So, so walk us through why mindset is the
2: foundation for, for success in sales. It, it's critical, and here's here's what I noticed, Todd. I was, I've worked with a lot of different salespeople and a lot of sales organizations and a lot of sales managers, and inevitably, somebody will come and say, that salesperson's not a good salesperson. They're not making their number. They're in the bottom quartile. I'm going to put them on plan, and the plan generally says they need to take more activity. They need to close. They need to do these things that are really outcomes, and then I'll look at that same individual and say, they're really good at prospecting. They don't have any trouble asking for commitments. They're just not disciplined. They're not doing enough work. And if you don't fix the discipline part, even it doesn't matter how good they are at prospecting, they're not going to succeed. And so somebody that they think is failing for one reason, I would see failing for another reason. And then I would see people go out and say, we can't figure out how to help this client. When another salesperson would look at that problem and be totally resourceful and go inside and lead their own organization to making changes so that they could find some sort of a deal. And so it was the resourcefulness as an attribute and the leadership ability as a skill that allowed that one to succeed. And I've taken careful notes as I've watched all this for a long time, and I started sketching out this framework to teach sales leaders, you think that it's the person, and it's really a couple missing attributes and maybe a couple missing skills. And if you could get them to work on one or two of these things, they could immediately produce better results. And whenever I would show it to a sales enablement or an ops person, they would immediately say, we need all these competencies. We never talk about them. We never address them. And so the reason I put that in the first half of the book is because if you get this part wrong and you're not treating the whole individual with the things where they're struggling, like maybe they don't take initiative. Maybe they're self-oriented and they don't care about other people. And so their language comes across in a way where – it's just easy to buy from somebody else other than you because you're so self-oriented. I don't even feel like you're listening to me. Those are the things that seemed to be a bigger obstacle. We could teach them the skills, but nobody focused on the mindset. And I, this is the first book I know of that's handled this in this way, but it is essentially a competency model. What are the attributes? What are the skills? And then how do you improve each of those sides? Well, see, I think you hit the, the, the key
1: to your success in sales and success in business and life is what you said at the top of the show when you were sharing your story that that the last thing you thought you were was a salesperson, and, and I think therein lies an issue with a lot of people. Now you and I are in a sales mastermind group together. You lead it. I'm a member of it, and there's no one <laughs> there's no one in that group that thinks I'm of the traditional a very uh, common sales uh, type of of individual. I I, I help my clients with business development, but I am not in any kind of a way would be considered a, a more traditional corporate kind of a sales strategist, so in no way, shape or form. And I think therein lies where I'm successful and that my approach is relationship building through the you know, the the media that I create. And i, I think there's a problem that people think, well, oh, I'm a sales guy, and so I have thus have to follow a very strict set of expectations, societal business culture expectations of what I'm supposed to do. And I think that's the
2: problem, right? It's a big part of the problem. And I think that that's what young people would say. I don't wanna be salesy. And I, I always have to ask, what does that mean? All right. and, and it's because I don't know what that word means. What does it mean to be salesy? I'll just give you one quick story. I teach a class called Personal Selling at Capital University. And it's undergrads. And I mostly teach MBAs, but I always have to do this undergrad class every couple of years. And I'll walk in and there'll be a room of 30 or 40 undergrads. And I'll ask them, what are some of the words that you would use to describe salespeople? And they'll say obnoxious, pushy smarmy, manipulative, persuasive, make people buy things they don't need to buy. And they'll, they'll come up with all of these negative connotations around the word sales. And then once I get a good whiteboard full of these words, I'll ask them a question. I'll say, if you're, one of your parents works in sales, raise your hand. And about 30% of the people will raise their hands and I'll typically ask somebody who looks kind of meek because it's just more fun to play with them. And I'll, I'll ask them. And they'll say, my, I'll say, who works in sales? And they'll say, my mom. And I'll say, you mean to tell me that your mom is an obnoxious, selfish, pushy, manipulative person that makes people buy things that they don't want? And the the kid will say, no, my my mom's wonderful. Their clients love her. You know, they talk to her all the time and they're like really good friends. And And then I'm like, well, that's not what you just said. And, and, and I'm trying to help them break the stereotype because that those things are not what makes you successful today. They really didn't make you successful in the past. They were just taught and widely used and abused in the past. But people have always wanted to work with people that they know, like, and trust. And that's still true. I still need to know you. I still need to like you. And I still need to trust you. If you're a hard person to like, it's easier to buy from somebody who's more likable. Right, right.
1: Yeah. I, it's amazing to me how we all still believe in those stereotypes and, and we dread experiences like going to buy a car because we just don't want to interact with that sales guy. But yet a lot of us would. And I think the other problem, Anthony, is a lot of people would say, well, that's not me, but that's exactly how they operate just because they're trying to follow the, that, that business cultural expectation of uh, the tactical approach to sales. So it's a fascinating dynamic how that works. So Anthony and I will return after this short break. We'll be right back.
0: This episode is brought to you by the new international best-selling book, Leadership Rigor. This groundbreaking book will turn everything you think you know about leadership upside down. Leadership Rigor explores how to achieve breakthrough performance and productivity through leading yourself, leading teams, and leading at the organizational level. Author Erica Piedler outlines for her readers how to become change-ready leaders. Change-ready leaders are capable of embracing challenges with agility and optimism because they have the tools, models, and language to assess, structure, and facilitate solutions. Leadership is a skill that can be learned and practiced. Take the rigor challenge and ask yourself, do you want to lead mindfully and skillfully? Or do you want to subject your teams and organizations to your unstructured thoughts and approaches? The choice is yours. Will you rigor it? You can purchase Leadership Rigor on Amazon or by visiting ericpetler.com.
1: All right, I am back with Anthony Annarino, the author of a new book called The Only Sales Guide You'll Ever Need. So, Anthony, the top half of the show, you talked about the importance of taking action, taking massive action. I think there are a lot of people in sales that are, quote, taking action, but I think it's misguided action. It's misdirected action. How do you begin to understand how to take purposeful action that's directed towards moving the ball down the field? I think that's a big problem.
2: Yeah, I think there are a lot of people who take action on, I mean, I'll I'll play with some ideas with you here. Like They think that social media is going to bring them enough opportunities, and it will bring some opportunities. And I would tell people with gray hair, you need to look at LinkedIn. And I would tell young people, you need to look at the phone. I mean, both of these are really good tools. But the first thing is deciding what you want. And the book, I start with the the chapter Self-Discipline, which I expect a lot of people to fall out during that chapter because... It, it's it's sort of a, a gut punch. I mean, the reality is you have to decide who your dream clients are. You have to build a nurturing plan so where I'm going to nurture these relationships like you were talking about. I'm going to build a relationship over time. And I have to have the discipline to prospect around things that are meaningful. So meaningful activities with meaningful clients. And you can take a lot of action, but if it's not directed towards the target, you'll never hit the target. So what a lot of salespeople do is they think, well, I'm going to call this this lead. Uh, this lead's no good, so I'm going to call the next lead. And then they expect the next lead to be better than the one that they have because it's more recent. But the recency of the lead doesn't say anything about how qualified it is or whether it's worth your time. You have to do enough research so that you've got really good targets, what I call dream clients. And then you need to focus and double down on activity around those few things that you can do with that smaller subset of, of real prospects And then you have to be super, super oriented towards delivering value for them so that you can get in front of them and create that opportunity.
1: Well, delivering value, I mean, that is, to me, that is the entire key of sales. And if you're delivering value to a prospect, boom, that's how that ball gets moved down the field. I think if you were to line up 10 salespeople and say, define what delivering value means, you would get 10 different answers and therein lies part of the problem. How do you define delivering value?
2: I have a a framework that's not in this book I call level four value creation, and I break it into four levels. So product value is the lowest level, level one, and this is where salespeople get in trouble is they think the product should do all the selling and that features and benefits are going to be enough to differentiate them and allow them to win, but it doesn't create enough of a preference when everybody's product is good, which is true now. And then level two is really about experience, so it's the service and solution That too is just table stakes now. Everybody's got pretty good experience. People are easier to do business with than they were in the past, and that tends to still be true. Level three is ROI. So this is that tangible value that we've focused on as B2B salespeople for the last 30 years plus. But now there's level four. And so I tell people, if you want to be a trusted advisor, you only need two things. You need trust and you need advice. And you can't be a trusted advisor without both halves. So there are a lot of people who are known and liked and trusted, but maybe don't have the advice part of this. And the advice part is, what kind of business acumen do you have? Can you focus on helping your prospective client or your dream client with strategic value, helping them get outcomes that they hadn't yet thought of, bringing them new insights, giving them a future orientation to show them where their company can go and how they could get there? and literally helping them see around corners to avoid risks and then also to see opportunities that they haven't yet recognized. That's a different level and it's raising the bar really high on salespeople. But if you wanna be differentiated, you have to create a higher level of value. So the first half of the book and the second half together are really a recipe for how do you become that kind of a value creator. And one of the chapters in the second half of the book is business acumen for just that reason.
1: Well, that's exactly where I was going next. As long as I've known you, you have talked about the importance of having business acumen and that is clearly one of the skill sets you do discuss in this book. I'm amazed, Anthony, how many people in sales don't have that. and And I don't know that sales leadership is doing enough to to provide the education and training to become uh, to, to develop business acumen. And certainly salespeople, they have all the resources on the earth they would ever need to to self self teach themselves and they're not doing it. I mean that's it's such a critical element to this. I mean, you have to understand business, understand what people are thinking before you could ever possibly deliver value, right?
2: You do. And you know, I think that businesses are making it worse. And the technology that we use now, as wonderful as it is, and you and I know each other through technology. I mean, that's how we met. It's great that you can connect with people and you can develop and maintain these relationships. But then we send people to work at home and they're by themselves and they lack the discipline and they're not rubbing up against other people, having conversations with clients and they're not working with their peers and picking up the kinds of behaviors and the kinds of language choices and the kind of skills that they could mimic, if they could see them. So we're sending these people off to work by themselves in their home at 24 or 25 years old, and they don't know anything about business because they—the only thing that they know about business they learned in college, which in theory is interesting, but in practice is very different. And uh, we're actually, I think, making the problem worse. So what I recommend—you—you you have to give people a plan and a path. And you have to give people a model and somebody who's responsible for helping them get the experiences that are going to allow them to understand what they're seeing and have enough confidence and competence to be a peer when they step into a business. You know, And I'll just share one other thought. The Challenger Sale is a really important book, and the idea that you need to lead with insight is great. But when you're 25 and you've never worked in business – the first time you sit down with a 52-year-old multimillionaire that's running multiple businesses and tell him he doesn't know how to run his business, <laughs> your your challenge is going to give you some challenges. Right, right, right. So
1: you mentioned dream clients, and that's another thing that, that as long as I can remember, you have been talking about and writing about. And I think therein lies another issue that a lot of struggling salespeople have is that they – I think there are two problems. One is they don't know how to define their dream client, so they have no idea how to actually seek one. And even if they know, they're still spending way too much time prospecting and identifying new prospects and leads that don't fit the definition of what a dream client would be. Talk on that and and why that is still so, so prevalent.
2: Because it's easier. And I'll tell you why it's so easy is because your dream client is already, they've already got a partner. They already have somebody sitting in your seat. They probably have a long relationship. They probably spend a lot of money, and so that relationship is probably close and it's strategic. Your competitor is not going to be easily displaced in that kind of an account. So these are cold opportunities. And you think as a salesperson, I want the hot leads. I want the Glengarry Glenn Ross leads, right? right I right. want these magical ones that are going to work for me. But that's really not where to spend your time. And here's how I would tell you to think about this. Think about the prospective client who has the exact set of problems and challenges that your differentiation strategy, how you compete can serve. Think about the type of client where you do the very best work and where people really appreciate you as a partner and who has the kind of problems that you can solve in some unique way. Typically when I work with sales organizations and there's a workbook that comes with the book that if you pre-order it, you can get the workbook, but there's basically an exercise to do a differentiation chart. And to say, okay, what does everyone in our industry do? How do we do it different? Why do we do it different? And then what does the client get for us having done this different? And when you stack those things up and you start looking at this would have to be important to them and that would have to be important to them, you can identify that subset of your prospects to say, here's 60 clients that look like this. And that's your dream client list. And I like the number 60 because it's just very simple to say, I can communicate with 15 of these clients every week and cover all 60 every month. And so over time I'm nurturing and building the relationship so that when there's ever an event where they want to explore change, I'm known and I'm known as a value creator. Mm,
1: yeah.
2: It's when, when
1: you understand it it's so simple and, and I'm so glad we, we discussed it. This another area I want to discuss Anthony is you mentioned at the top of the show that you kind of you don't serve in the consultants, you're serving the sales reps and the sales managers. I, it's been my contention, certainly with the organizations that I've helped and I've observed, that the sales manager oftentimes is, I think, causing more issues than, than, than helping. And they're under pressure to meet certain numbers. They're under pressure to have a certain amount of prospects and the CRM to be, you know, moving along and chugging along and all that kind of thing. I I worry, and tell me if I'm way off base here, but I worry that a sales manager, a guy who's responsible for the sales team, looks at this book and says, uh, No, just, just read the chapter on skills. You don't need to get in all that mumbo jumbo about mindset. What is that guy all about? I, I want you to learn the hard tactical skills of actually selling. None of this, none of this self-discipline stuff. How, is that is that a common problem? And if so, how do you begin to get them? To understand, because I can see it's very easy to get a sales rep who's struggling to say, all right, got to rethink and reposition my mind how I do this, how I approach it, how I think, how I, how I discipline myself. But I'm, I'm worried about the guy managing a big crew who's got a lot of responsibility, a lot of expectations.
2: How does he or she buy into that idea? You know, the, the book, if you bought it on pre-order, then you're going to get worksheets that go with it. So there's an individual worksheet for me as the rep to look and say, let me assess myself. And then there's a team worksheet so that the leader can go through the team worksheet and look at their team. And what generally happens when people do this is they see, wait a second, I see a couple common themes. We're not really doing a good job at prospecting. We lack business acumen. We need to work on those two. And they tend to look at the skill stuff. And then they look at the rest of the list and say, we're not taking initiative. We're not proactive at all. You know, And they start to see these patterns. So the first way is to look at it and say, holistically, how do I look at the whole team and give them what they need generally? But the biggest question I get from sales managers around coaching is, how do I coach these personal issues? How do I coach that? And they know that it's there, and they know that it's necessary, but I think it's mostly a lack of understanding what it really is, and then how do I coach to it? So the intention that I have with this book was to give the sales manager this lens to look through to say, wait a second, it's not prospecting. It's the fact that they're not good communicating a message of value, and they're not disciplined. Okay, so now I can sit down with this rep and say, here's my assessment. Let's look at your assessment, my assessment, and decide what we should work on together. And then we've got these exercises that we can do, including the exercises in the book, the exercises in the workbook, and then the exercises on video, so that we can actually build a plan to really help someone. And I'll tell you, Todd, my bias is I see sales organizations that say, this salesperson's failing. I need to get them out. And I would say, but have we failed them? Have we not given them the time, the attention, the resources, the training, the managing, the coaching, the development to get them to succeed? So if we hire them, they're our responsibility. They're now in our charge. This book is really for the manager to say, okay, I have some plan at least to help beef up these competencies so this person can do better. Because if if the sales manager
1: adopts the and I wholeheartedly endorse your philosophy here. If they adopt this Anarino approach to sales, it it in a lot of cases it's going to change how they do their job significantly,
2: right? It should it should change how they think about their job. I mean, I, I sent out a Sunday newsletter every Sunday, and yesterday's was just about a reminder that in every interaction, we're supposed to be creating a preference, which means you can't mindlessly go into a sales call and go through the motions, even though you've made a thousand sales calls. You've got to be fully present and committed and think about who do I have to be in this interaction so that I'm creating a massive preference for me and my solution and my company. But we don't do that. And I think starting with who, be first and then do. And it's not do and then be. It's be and then do. We just have to get those in the right order. I'll share one other quick thought with you about that. I had a manager who told me he hated his whole sales force and he wanted to fire them. And uh, I pushed back, and in a moment of, you know, have you ever had one of those times where you said something that was kind of scary and brilliant, and then you looked back and sort of admired like you, like a boxer, you've sort of got somebody on the ropes, and you've almost knocked them out? Yeah. And you take that step back to admire your work. This was one of those times I just, it came out, and I said, um, what are we going to do with the third group? And he said, I don't understand what you mean. And I said, when we fire this first group, what are we going to do with the third group? And he said, I still don't understand what you're saying. I said, when we fire this group because we hate them, and then we hate the second group and fire them, what are we going to do different when we get the third group in? Yeah. And he said, So you're saying it's me? I said, Well, not just you, it's you and your leadership team. Yeah? And, and he said, I get it. I get it. What should we change? But it's that mindset shift that if you don't like these individuals enough to work for with them, and you don't care enough about them to help them get better, you're not going to like the next group any better. Right. That's just the the hard, honest truth.
1: Yeah. No. And it's brilliant, and and
2: you should be proud
1: <laughs> of of that, <laughs> of that conversation because it is it. And you know, every day there's there are sales managers who who need to be told that very same thing. So so very very important. This. So before we close obviously one of the big messages here with this book is is mindset shifts and and that's not easy for a lot of people because they have been taught and told to do it a certain way and and follow the script and follow the procedure and the routine and we've whiteboarded the you know our sales process so follow that strictly mindset shift is a different way to think about it, and, and it's going to be unnerving for a lot of people because they're just not used to really operating that way, certainly in business. So, so before we go, share a couple of thoughts, Anthony, on someone listening to this who says, all right, I'm, I'm getting this, and I'm kind of jazzed, and, and, I, and I see a new path forward that's very exciting. How do, I, how do they begin to, to make that mindset shift? What, what are the first couple of steps they need
2: to take? I mean, the the first one is awareness, and I don't think that human beings can change and grow and develop without an awareness of where they are right now. We've talked about salespeople being self-oriented. When you're self-oriented, you don't know you're self-oriented. Just everyone around you knows, because if you knew how self-oriented you were, that awareness would help you start to tamp it down, Uh, and that generally is what happens when you have somebody start helping you see those kinds of things. So the first thing is, if you look at this model and you read the first half of the book, you're going to have conversations about, well, where am I really on this? Am I really self-disciplined? Should I really have some sort of a discipline list of the things that I do every day because they're the right things to do with no goal attached to them because there's no end? That awareness can lead to action. And then I think that you have to be willing to do the work to change. And I'll tell you the the chapter that I believe, there's a couple chapters that I believe are going to give people more trouble than others. The discipline chapter is absolutely going to give people trouble because it's just very hard to develop self-discipline. Right. The second one is the optimism, the second chapter. And I think optimism follows discipline specifically because it is a discipline. I mean, having a good attitude when you have tons of negativity around you, first of all, Your friends on Facebook are negative. We're going into an election cycle and there can't be any more negative experience on earth than an American election cycle, I don't think. Um, (laughs) That's got to be the top of the list. You've got your peers at work who are cynical and slackers and people who are unhappy with what they do. You've got people who are under stress and you've got this constant feed just telling people to go on a negativity fast and say for 30 days, I'm turning everything off and I'm muting my friends. So that I can take in, let's say, Zig Ziglar, Les Brown, Brian Tracy, Stephen Covey, Anthony Robbins. And instead, when you're on your way to work, instead of taking in all of this, the things that are really poisoning your mindset, take in positive things. I mean, that kind of an exercise, which is in the book. This is why the first publisher didn't understand the book. Right. That's so important because if you are negative and if you're pessimistic, you won't take action. And if you don't believe that you can succeed, then you won't do something. So if you think there's no reason to call my dream client again because they just always say no, then you won't make that call. And you get to choose the actions you take or that you don't take, but you don't get to choose the consequences of those actions. The consequences are what they are. And you're free to believe whatever you want to believe, but you have to understand that for whatever unhealthy belief you have, there's somebody producing better results than you because they have a better belief system. So you think that dream client's never going to break and your competitor's thinking right now the next call's the call that they're finally going to be dissatisfied enough to let me come in and start talking to them. You know, and you you have to believe these things are true and it serves you in every area of your life. I'm telling you something that you know but other people might benefit from.
1: Oh, and there's some people rolling their eyes at this and then and, and I'll say to you, that is exactly why you're struggling in this. It yes. Is, is, is you, that is so mission critical to success. Uh, certainly in sales, but frankly, in life and in business uh, is optimism. So uh, great stuff. Anthony, gosh, we could talk for hours about all this stuff. Eh, shoot, we could talk for hours on each of these chapters. It's great stuff. I'm, I'm so grateful that this, uh, this book is finally seeing the light of day and I congratulate you on that. And uh, just on behalf of all of us in the sales
2: world, uh, we're, we're grateful you didn't become the next Nirvana. i'm grateful i didn't make it to be the next nirvana too they were angry (laughs) talk about an unoptimistic bunch
1: (laughs) you saw what happened there all right so anthony before i let you go should anyone have any questions uh, how can they contact you where can they find a sales blog which is uh, your great daily blog and then most importantly give us all the skinny on the new book the only sales guide you'll ever need
2: TheSalesBlog.com, there's a contact page there with Skype contact info, phone number, email, and you can also use the contact form. Another way a lot of people seem to be getting a hold of me today is LinkedIn. So uh, on LinkedIn, you can find me. It's my last name, Anna Reno, and I will accept your request for the book. You can go to Amazon.com and buy the book there. If you're hearing this before, I'm going to say October 5th or 6th, you can go to pre-order TheOnlySalesGuide.com. Or later on, you can email me, and I'll help you find the resources if you miss the pre-order. Anthony Anarino, speaker,
1: author, sales leader, and the author of the new book, "The Only Sales Guide You'll Ever Need." Anthony, great luck with this book. Thank you for doing it, and grateful for your time today. Thanks for having me on. The pleasure was mine, as always. All right, all the time we have for today. Again, on behalf of my guest, Anthony Anarino, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you soon on Intrepid Radio. Thank you for listening to Intrepid Media. We appreciate your attention. To receive everything we do, simply go to intrepidmailinglist.com. That's intrepidmailinglist.com and sign up. You can also find us at intrepid.media and on iTunes. And to support the important work we do on your behalf, a rating and review on iTunes will help spread our work far and wide. Again, we certainly appreciate your support. Now, get out there, be intrepid, and we'll see you next time.